0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
1: I'm Ashley Webster. I'm Kennedy. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, June 6th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Is the situation better at the border? President Biden says so, with fewer illegal crossings since Title 42 expired. Republicans say it's not better, just different. What
2: has changed, and is a very significant thing, the Border Patrol told me, is that we have more people that are non-Spanish speakers that are coming across now. People from Mauritania, people from Russia, people from China, from Pakistan, from the Middle East mostly men in their 20s. We speak with Senator James
0: Lankford. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. U.S. politicians and U.S. CEOs may not be on the same page when it comes to China. Some business leaders cross the Pacific to meet with Chinese officials as lawmakers, the White House and Pentagon call China our biggest challenge.
3: U.S. CEOs, they're wooed by the money. Chinese have a billion people in China. They're wooed by the money over there, yet they have to follow their rules. And I'm Jimmy
4: Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. It was a big story last month. The
1: end of the Title 42 COVID policy at the border, feared to usher in a massive surge of illegal immigration. Instead, there was a record spike of crossings right before it expired, and then the numbers dropped after, prompting President Biden to tell reporters the situation is... Much much better than you all expected. That prompted Republican congressman Tony Gonzalez from Texas to tell Fox.
4: It can't be the president laughing at laughing it off as if it's it's a joke. It's a serious threat.
1: Independent Senator Kirsten Cinemas from Arizona and tells Fox we
5: need more border patrol agents, increased technology, manpower, and the ability to actually interdict both folks who seek to do bad in our country and the trafficking of drugs.
1: Senator James Lankford, a Republican from Oklahoma, agrees and does not think we're seeing a better situation at the border.
2: No, we're definitely not. I, I'm on the border management subcommittee. I'm the ranking member there, so I'm down at the border quite a bit. So I do regular check-ins in different places.
1: Lankford just visited the border in Arizona outside
2: Nogales with Senator Cinema. We still have literally thousands of people a day that are crossing the border. Now, the, While the Biden administration is saying, well, we've changed policies and the numbers have gone down, the numbers have gone down because cartels are actually choking down the numbers at this point in the response to it. But the people that are coming across are being treated the same way. They're coming in, being processed and being released into the country, regardless of where they're from and what their background is. Cartels tell them, just say, I have fear in my country. They'll be released and they'll wait for the next four or five years, an asylum hearing some at some point in the future. And then they'll probably not show up for that hearing at all. For the individuals crossing the border, nothing changed. What has changed and is a very significant thing, the Border Patrol told me, is that we have more people that are non-Spanish speakers that are coming across now. People from Mauritania, people from Russia, people from China, from Pakistan, from the Middle East. Mostly men in their 20s that they're showing up that we have no ID on or no way to be able to really know if that's the name that they're giving us is an accurate name. They're being 10 printed with fingerprints. If they don't show up on our terror watch list, they're just being released into the country. Now, again, our terror watch list is not perfect, but we've had a record number of people on our terror watch list that have been picked up so far this year, over 100 that have been picked up on our southern border. But we've got the people literally traveling with those folks that were on the terror watch list. The one that was on the terror watch list gets picked up and gets deported. The rest of them just get ushered right into the country.
1: We were told family units, right? they would be allowed in. Maybe that single adults would not be allowed in, but that's, that's not true. Everybody's getting in.
2: Everybody's getting in. Yeah. Sing, single adults, they're all getting in and what they're being told is you need to show up in an asylum hearing. They're given a date three to five. To, if they're coming to New York City, it uh, may be eight years in the future, just depending on how backlogged the courts eight? are, eight years in the future. And uh, they'll come in for that hearing if they show up at all. What
1: is the percentage that
2: do? Well, right now we don't know uh, because it's so far in the future. uh, We don't have a good guess of how many people that's going to be at this point. Because of the Um, backlog, right? Because of the backlog. But we know historically we're somewhere between 10 to 15% actually show up for all the hearings.
1: And so the others – we disappear. don't know where, yeah. We don't Disappear. And we have no accurate count. Do we know how many people are in the U.S. illegally?
2: No. We have no way to really count that accurately. And I know there was a push during the census. President Trump had actually pushed to try to get right. find out who's legal, who's not legal in that. Right. And that was fought in the courts on it. Right. He lost that. He lost that. couldn't
1: ask the question.
2: Right. And so the question is a pretty simple question. Are you legally present in the country or not? That matters for your schools. That matters for all your social services. That's a legitimate question to be able to help track
1: that. But the fear was that... It would scare them, and they wouldn't even right. answer it, or they wouldn't fill the sentences out at all.
2: Correct. And so the the issue still is we don't have a good number of having people here legally, but we do know from the Border Patrol telling me just two weeks ago they're getting more and more concerned on national security because we have more and more people coming that we have no idea where they're from. They're not coming from the typical areas. They're coming from multiple different flights to be able to come in, to be able to get here, and they're just released in the country. Again, Middle Eastern men, Mauritanians, Russians— People that historically are not all about our country.
1: We were also told the new policy for the Biden administration would be if you went through Mexico and you did not apply for asylum in Mexico, you're not from there, you, get, right. you you went through that country, didn't apply there, you wouldn't be allowed to apply here. Is that true?
2: That is what they're telling everyone when I went down to the border to be able to see if that's what they're actually doing. They're saying, yes, that's what they're actually doing. But what they leave out is the moment they're going to usher you out of the country is not at the border. It's four years from now when you get to your hearing. Oh, So they're saying to people, hey, if you don't qualify, if you didn't apply for it in another country, then you're going to have to leave four years from now. So they're still allowed in. They're still allowed in. So that's what I'm saying. Nothing has changed at our border. People are still being waved in.
1: There are a lot of people who talk about comprehensive immigration reform, that we need to do a big, big thing to change the laws entirely. Then, though, there's always a provision about the possibility of allowing some who entered illegally to become a citizens, and then the conversation sort of stops. How can we find some sort of a compromise to all that?
2: We 100% need to work on legislation to deal with first asylum. How do you define asylum? Can you come from Mauritania, for instance, travel through 10 different countries and then come here and say, I want to declare asylum? Or do you need to ask for asylum in those other countries you transited to before you get here? We've got to be able to fix the asylum policy. uh, We also have this very low screening threshold that if you literally say, I have fear, you're allowed to be able to come to the country. That's not true for any other nation. So we do have to fix The screening, we need to fix the standard on that. We need to fix if you're transiting through other countries that you don't qualify for asylum to be able to come here. But we also have got to be able to resolve the basics of our legal immigration process. So if someone wants to legally come to this country, they're allowed to go through a legal process to be able to do that. So we're encouraging legal immigration, discouraging illegal. The Biden administration is doing the opposite. They're literally discouraging legal immigration and encouraging illegal immigration.
1: Last week, Congress approved and then President Biden signed... A bill to resolve a debt limit crisis, allowing the U.S. to borrow more money ahead of a looming default, averted an economic crisis, an economic collapse. But some of his fellow Democrats voted against the president's compromise with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who tells Fox. He was able to rein in federal spending back to 2022 levels and then capping future increases. It's not perfect, but it is a beginning of turning the ship. Now we've got to do the rest
2: of the job.
1: But some of his fellow Republicans voted against the compromise, including
2: Senator Lankford. I don't remember during the Trump administration, the media talking about it being a big national crisis in the debt ceiling when Nancy Pelosi and Speaker, and at that time, Leader Schumer, We're saying the debt ceiling was leveraged to get Trump to actually increase spending. It's only a crisis when Republicans are trying to decrease spending. Now suddenly it's a big crisis. I voted against it because I didn't feel like it actually decreased spending. We have to take seriously what we're actually doing in debt and deficit in this nation. The particular deal does slow down the spending but doesn't decrease spending in any single year. If you go back to 2011 – When there was a Republican House, Democrat Senate, Democrat president, exactly the same as it was now, that debt deal that was done in 2011 actually reduced spending the next two years. Spending went down in real dollars. This one, spending goes up in real dollars for the next two years. It just goes up slower than what they were anticipating. That's not going to really fix our debt issues. We've got to have adult conversations about what we're spending, what we're doing, and prioritize the things we should be spending on. National security, infrastructure, our roads, there, there are key things government should be doing. Do those things well, and other things, we've got a sunset. And to say, we we can't afford to do that right now. I'm bringing up this federal fumble book that I do every year. I highlighted 50 different examples and said, someone explain to me why this is a government priority of doing a butterfly study in Germany where we hired a Swedish scientist to study butterflies in Germany. W- w- why is the United That's States That's actual payment? federal that dollars. Actual federal dollars from tax dollars ever done to do that. Why are we doing that? We did a colonial sound study in Mexico where we're studying the effect of cannon shots and everything else in colonial Mexico that we paid for. We paid to study the secret language of butchers in Paris that apparently they've had a secret butcher language since the 13th century. So <laughs> uh, okay, why but- are we Correct. If a French university Mm -hmm. wants to be able to study the secret language of butchers, I'm all in. That's fine for them to do that. Why are we funding that? How does that
1: get in the
2: budget? Well, a couple of ways. Uh, One is it slips into giant omnibus spending bills that literally no one has read, that someone will have something that they want to do, and they'll just stick it in there either as an earmark or some additional grant that they put in there. And the other way is they'll give to different agencies, basically walking around money, to say to some agency person in the State Department, hey, if you want to be nice and you're developing relationships, here's some money that you can do to be able to pay for it.
1: What would you do to rein that in, to stop that from happening?
2: So a couple things need to be done. We've got to do appropriation bills one at a time. You can't do omnibus bills. No one has read it. No one's reviewed it. There's no there oversight. A
1: thousand pages Correct. or more, right? Thousands and you get a day pages. or two to vote on
2: it. Usually less than a day when those come up. And it's something that was written in the leader's office and they bring out and no one's gone through it. Last year was worst case scenario. There wasn't even committee hearings on a single bill last year.
3: Who writes this
2: stuff? So it's a mixture of committee staff, of individuals that are what we affectionately call downtown. Those are lobbyists and different groups. It may be someone from the administration that's saying, hey, we really want to spend money in this place. We're not going to be able to get this through an open hearing, so let's just put it into an omnibus bill. And they all get thrown together with no oversight. You find out weeks later what was actually in it.
1: Three more Republicans are entering the presidential race this week. Former Vice President Pence... You have Chris Christie, who also ran in 2016, the former governor of New Jersey. And Doug Burgum, who's the governor of North Dakota. I don't know if a lot of people know Governor Burgum, but he's going to enter the race this week. So it's a growing field. Former President Trump is still the front runner. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is second in the polls. Do you have anyone that you support so far?
2: I don't yet. I stayed out of the 2016 race as well and uh, didn't endorse anyone during that time period. I'll stay out of this one in all likelihood as well. But we've got a lot of voices that are out there. What's nice is Republicans, we have a very deep bench. We have a lot of people with good ideas and people that know how to be able to execute this. And it's been interesting for me, just in my own state, as I travel around a very conservative state of Oklahoma, about half the Republicans I talk to want President Trump to come back. And about half of them say, I'd like those policies, but I don't want that person again. I'm looking for somebody else. And so we're seeing a lot of folks running as the somebody else in this process, and the field will narrow down in the months ahead. We've got to have somebody with some knowledge and some insight and can actually bring some ideas to the page, because the people I talk to more and more are moving from being angry about where the nation is to afraid of where the nation is. Immigration's out of control. Budget's out of control. So many different areas. There are people that are saying, I don't know how this gets fixed in foreign policy and the chaos that the Biden administration's created worldwide. So somebody has to bring a set of ideas. And so for me, I'm always looking for a person who can actually bring ideas, who can solve the problems, and as a benefit, as a role model for our kids in the past. I'm I'm, I'm a kid of the Reagan era. I loved ideas and role models. They go well together.
1: Do you think that the party will unite behind
2: whoever it is? I do. I do think the party will unite because we see the threat of Joe Biden, quite frankly. We've seen firsthand what, what has happened in the nation with our economy, with our world standing. We know the threats that we're facing. So we've got to bring somebody that can bring a different set of ideas to what we're actually dealing with right now.
1: Republican Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma, great to talk to you. Thank you very much for being here. It's
5: great to visit with you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
0: I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.
4: This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up.
0: On Sunday, U.S. military officials said a Chinese destroyer tried to cut off a U.S. ship during joint exercises we were conducting with Canada. The Canadians called the move unprofessional. Last week, a Chinese fighter jet conducted what the U.S. military called an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver over international airspace. White House National Security Council coordinator John Kirby said Monday.
3: These are uh, part and parcel of uh, an increasing level of aggressiveness by uh, the PLA, the PRC's military, uh, in particularly in the area of the Taiwan Straits and in the
0: South China Sea. A day before the warship cutoff, Secretary of Defense Austin shook the hand of the man who has declined one-on-one talks with him, including at a security summit in Singapore, Li Sheng Fu. However, NSA Director Jake Sullivan and Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo have both recently met with their counterparts. Now, go over to corporate America, and it's another story.
3: What's going to happen to the Shanghai plant, Mr. Musk?
0: Is it going to expand, Mr. Musk? Elon Musk was in Shanghai last week visiting a Tesla factory where he said his highest quality Teslas were made. The CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase held a summit in Shanghai, after which he said, We're in China hopefully through good times and bad. We tend not to leave unless there's a war, and we're not predicting that here. The U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, said last month to a Washington, D.C. think tank after traveling around and meeting U.S. companies in China.
4: Most
1: firms are staying here because the China market is so big. Um, but a lot of firms are delaying major investments until they can see some consistency in messaging. And until they see maybe six, 12 months from now left a period of openness is continuing,
0: and yet lawmakers are feeling a bit cooler toward China. Earlier this year, President Biden highlighted the Chips Act and investments in American companies like semiconductor company WolfSpeed.
3: Instead of relying
2: on on minerals made overseas in places like China, the supply
4: chain will be here in America, here in North Carolina. It's a game changer.
0: So while China is called a pacing challenge and we implement export controls on our tech exports, the CEO of Starbucks was in Beijing for the opening of the company's 6,000th store in April, praising Starbucks' 60,000 Chinese employees. The baseline of this, uh, it's
3: China wooing American companies, and they're accepting the invitations. Ed Lawrence is the White House correspondent for the Fox Business Network. Originally last week, uh, Jamie Dimon, the J.P. Morgan CEO, uh, held a conference in China, at the invitation of the Chinese, but held the conference mm-hmm. in China. It's a JP Morgan conference, and it attracted a number of very large CEOs. Elon Musk, Tim Cook of Apple has been to Apple, not in this particular meeting, but he has been there. The Starbucks CEO has been uh, went last week uh, to this big conference. And it's China's chance to woo some of this big American investment in China. The problem is that the White House is basically saying there's no caveat on any American business leader who wants to go to China to do business with Chinese. There's no warnings coming from the White House at all. And and critics are saying, well, wait a minute, look at what the Chinese are doing to us. How come there is no repercussions for what they've done? And and that's what I asked um, NSC spokesperson John Kirby uh, last week. I said, basically, you've got all these CEOs that are going over there. Uh, you've got China wooing them, the US not pushing back at all. And then you've got the Chinese still stealing intellectual property. There's no protections. The, the phase one trade deal had protections written in it. China did not follow through on that. Uh, the US has not enforced the enforcement mechanisms in the phase one trade deal. And now the latest incident, we're seeing a Chinese warship coming across the bow of a US warship in the Taiwan Strait. And this is after a Chinese jet flies across a US jet in that same area. Again, no repercussions the Chinese are seeing. So they just keep moving forward as they try and steal our technology, as they try and steal investments and bring them to China away from
0: the United States. And that's where critics have a big problem. Ed, what does it mean when the Secretary of Defense can't get a phone call returned from China's defense minister, but Elon Musk, as you just said, it, you know, is meeting with their foreign minister? It sounds like China is just going around DC and at the end of the day, money talks.
3: Right. And the uh, Secretary Austin could only get a handshake in Singapore. At the same time, the Chinese warship crossed the front uh, bow of a U.S. warship. So that sort of tells you exactly where they are. There was a State Department, I mean, a um, Defense Department spokesperson saying there was no substantive conversation between the two, just a handshake. Uh, So that's where the Chinese, you know, view us, pushing us back as we keep trying to go after them. And yet, they're wooing all of this investment. So, you, you know, there are some restrictions. Uh, the U.S. is placed on exports, specifically in semiconductors. So you cannot, mm-hmm. in NVIDIA, for example, uh, the CEO of NVIDIA was in a, a conference in Taiwan. Chinese state media said he was supposed to meet with tech executives in China uh, Nvidia is, is banned from sending their most advanced chips to China because of risk of the Chinese stealing that technology. As these media reports surfaced, Nvidia would not comment. First of all, on the travel of their CEO, but then a second uh, Chinese uh, media source saying that the CEO then decided to turn around and go back to the United States after his conference mm. in Taiwan. So clearly, there was a, a meeting. The intent for a meeting. The publicity happened about the meeting, and now the meetings <laughs> is not going to happen. Uh, so, but this, you know, tells you the environment, the U.S. CEOs, yeah. they're wooed by the money. Chinese have, have a billion people in China. They're wooed by the yeah. money over there, yet they have to follow their rules. And, and you know, that's what got, have a lot of criticism. And that entails giving, and that
0: entails here. giving over our intellectual property in many yep. cases that that's the deal exactly. right you go to you do business in china and you, it, it might end up and very well has ended up as we've been told in the hands of the chinese military i mean there's no wall yeah, between necessarily the right the business and the, right. and the government side
3: right yeah, yeah the chinese communist party and state council during their last session last month or the month before they had a paper they put out and in their paper it says that ip and intellectual property is a strategic resource <laughs> Something they can tap into to wow. use uh, and build up their technology. So, yeah, the protections just aren't there for companies, but the money is. And, and that's the reason companies continue to go over there and, and try and play their hand at the Chinese game, uh, which, you know, eventually ends up losing. I, you know, I can go back at an anecdote. Uh, my wife, her father owned a circuit board company in San Diego. Uh, the circuit board company was doing very well in the 80s early 90s. Then the Chinese got into the circuit board industry. They started dumping the circuit boards on the market under the value of what his company was charging them for. They ended up going to a niche market of high end and eventually you know, closed because they couldn't keep up with the Chinese dumping these circuit boards on the market. So this is what happens. You see a business opportunity as a CEO. You look at the short term profits. And in the long term, China then takes the product you're making or whatever you're doing. They mirror it Undercut you, and eventually that company, that industry goes under, or the jobs mostly shift over to China.
0: Yeah, it sounds like we are trying to walk this fine line, right? We set these export controls on on China, making sure they don't get their hands on certain tech, as you just noted in the uh, in the Chips Act, right? And and that is also, I mean, we just heard a bunch of AI experts tell Congress a little over a month ago: make sure when you do AI regulation that there are export controls on AI related chips. I don't know if we even know the answer to this, but it sounds like the lawmakers in D.C. and even and that includes both parties and the president. They're they're trying to, to make this case. Right. And business isn't listening.
3: Yeah, that's the bottom line on this. And, and you know, you, you have to give some credit to Congress. They're getting in very early in this artificial intelligence space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no regulations as of right now. There's many different avenues and ways this could go, and yet they're trying to say they see the danger going forward of artificial intelligence and want to limit our enemies getting control of some of that or all of that space. So you've got to give them credit for that. Uh, on the other side of it, it is, it's very difficult when you have you know CEOs just looking. And, and the other thing is the Chinese. They're very adept at getting around some of these sanctions, because in a number of cases, you will see sanctions mm-hmm. from the Treasury Department as technology has gone on companies exporting technology to China. Those sanctions then shut down those companies. And then, you know, three months or four months later, you'll see other companies pop up that do the same thing. And then the U.S. Treasury Department will, will sanction those companies. It's like whack-a-mole. And oh. bottom line is the technology does end
0: up in China. Right. Tell me, you know, we see, like I just said, there's a bipartisan effort, right? There are some things I think after COVID that everybody's talking about that we've learned, right? About having access to critical things of certain importance. But if the CEO of Starbucks says, hey, there's over a billion people there. I want to sell coffee to them. You know, that's different. So how much nuance does this conversation require? Because like Kirby said, we're not, we, you know, we're not in the business of limiting business necessarily if they see customers right. somewhere, but we do have to have some more things made at home.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, Senator Marco Rubio has sort of led the conversation on how to limit some of this technology going to China and bring some of those critical supply chains back to the United States. Um, you, you, it's interesting you say that, but think about Starbucks. They have a unique system they use in order to quickly get your coffee, and it tastes amazing. So <laughs> what if the Chinese company could then take that system as Starbucks opens in China in various mm-hmm. places and replicate it and then do it cheaper. You could eventually run Starbucks, you know, at least out of business in China. But somebody somewhere in all of these companies has done a calculation that can make more money and it's worth it now for the profits for the shareholders in order to sell the technology to risk giving over your critical technology in order to do business with China. Now, the U.S., and national security folks are concerned that that could implicate national security, that could affect the national security in the United States. So that that's the line. It's a very tough balancing act that you have to walk, and both Republicans and Democrats are doing it. Um, you know, This administration taking a different approach than the previous administration. Uh, former President Donald Trump, as you know, slapped a lot of tariffs on China, and it really got the Chinese to notice. Uh, This administration has taken a more hands-off approach, uh, has been more in in the background. But we still, like you said, we saw those export controls on advanced technologies going to China. Now, one thing that we're looking for, we haven't seen yet, is an executive order limiting outbound investment from the U.S. into China, in Chinese companies in China for technology. Uh, That was expected in April. It's still not here. We're in Ah. June. So, I don't we'll know see. why that's being slow walked, and there's been no timetable given. Uh, but we do expect eventually that limit to come on outbound investments, specifically in the technology sector.
0: Okay. Finally, Ed, before I let you go, you know our ambassador to China, Nick Burns, he spoke to a Washington D.C. think tank a little over a month ago, I think, and I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said, you know, a lot of our businesses, specifically in manufacturing, they're, they're just too large, too entrenched, too established, really, in China, just pick up and leave, but. You have reports, some, like from Apple, right? They're looking to expand manufacturing maybe in India. We've heard other businesses talk of diversifying where they produce in, in maybe some other Asian countries, right?
3: And you're exactly, and you're starting to see that. Uh, 25% of the iPhones will be made in India uh, from Apple. Now, it takes a very long time to move a massive supply chain like that right. and get companies in India up to speed, but that's starting. That conversation is starting uh, because I think companies, as you mentioned, saw what happened during COVID people couldn't get the iPhones and they might have gone to Samsung because Samsung had different supply Mm -hmm. chains. So, uh, you, you know, some companies are starting to see this and, you know, big winners out of this, as I've been hearing in manufacturing sectors, Vietnam is starting to put a lot of money into the infrastructure. You know, the interesting thing about this is China is countering that with their Belt and Road Initiative. They're going out to these countries where supply chains may move to. Now, India is not one of them, but where they may move to, like Vietnam, Cambodia, some other Asian countries where labor might be a little bit more inexpensive. And the Chinese are investing, making deals that the companies, the countries can't afford when they fall through on that. The investment then goes back to China, so the Chinese are looking huh. out, seeing this possibly happening, and putting their tentacles out. You know, and the U.S. has to is is working to counter that, but China ha, has a ten-year start on their Belt and Road
0: Initiative, and they're more sure. entrenched
3: in some of those countries.
0: Fox Business Network's White House correspondent Ed Lawrence, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Jessica. Appreciate it.
4: I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night.
5: Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary.
1: Jimmy Fallon.
5: What's on your
4: mind? So Target stock is down $12.4 billion since the company launched its controversial Pride line last month. In fact, the only thing that's fallen faster is Joe Biden. Now, to be clear, I stopped shopping at Target before it became cool, but I get why people are doing it now. And not because I don't support Pride, but because, like Bud Light, Target's shoehorning things under the Pride umbrella that are definitely not what the vast majority of their customers support. For instance... Target's trouble started when they started selling tuck-friendly bathing suits for kids who switch genders. Personally, I never thought I'd see women's swimsuits sold in the nuts aisle. And yeah, that's a stupid joke, but so is this idea of saying that anyone who boycotts Target hates pride. This has nothing to do with celebrating lesbian and gay people, but it has everything to do with sending a strong message to corporate America that we don't think they should be pushing underage kids to surgically alter their bodies and commit to a lifetime of follow-up procedures and medications. Seriously, Target, it's not what we meant when we asked to bring our kids to a changing room. Of course, we support anyone over the age of 18 who wants to transition. It's the whole point of America, is that every adult has the right to do whatever they want. You know, like boycotting Target if they support groups that push experimental surgeries and medications on kids. Bud Light ran into the same issue when it put Dylan Mulvaney on a commemorative can to support one year of womanhood. Which means, technically speaking... Bud Light was giving beer to a one-year-old girl. Not sure that's the best idea, but again, the backlash didn't come because Dylan Mulvaney was trans. It came because people drink beer to get away from identity politics. And now Bud Light was literally pouring it down their throats. You see, the problem is these giant corporations are hiring woke marketing firms who don't want to cater to the customer's preferences. They want to change them. We used to have a show called Mad Men, but now they've been replaced by Mad Them. Don Draper is now Dawn Draper. And the old slogan of the customer is always right has become the customer is always a bigot. Earth to corporate America. People don't buy your products to have political views forced on them. But until you realize that, there's going to be plenty more boycotts in store. Okay, I'll stop the shopping puns before the whole audience checks out. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to 3 on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com
5: Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the all new Brett Bear podcast featuring common ground, in depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his All Star panel and
3: much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.